This is a Legacy of Laughs comedy from the golden age of radio, brought to you by RelicRadio.com. The Fred Allen Show. Brought to you by Panna Toothpaste for the smile of beauty, Sal Hepatica for the smile of health. An hour of smiles with Fred Allen, folks. 3,600 seconds of fun and music. Fun with our star comedian, Fred Allen. With our guest, a representative from the Statue of Liberty, David Ludmere. Music with Peter Van Steeden, the Merrimax, and Wynn Murray. The time has come. It's the Fred Allen Show. Well, as the feller says, you can't start a show without an overture, folks, so we bow to the inevitable, and our overture is Yip by Addy I.A. comes every week. B's for the bags hanging down on each cheek. C's for the comedy he's been rehearsing. And D is for duck. Here comes Fred in person. (laughs) Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, and good evening, ladies and gentlemen, and congratulations to you, Harry, on finally mastering your ABCs. Oh, thanks. Why didn't you do the rest of the alphabet? You're going so well there, I thought you'd Oh, continue. is there more to it? Well, haven't you heard, Harry? Oh, no. Gee, I didn't get any farther than college, Fred. Oh. <laughs> you only got up to D, a Dartmouth man, huh? <laughs> well, would you like to hear at this late age, would you like to hear the rest of the alphabet, Harry? Yeah, what is the next letter, Fred? Well, to a musician, it's E flat, but to us, it's E. <laughs> e for their ears, listeners fine, full of corn... F for the fanfares, Peter blows on his horn. G's for the gags, we hope will go well. H, our announcer, Herschel von Zell. Well, that's fine. Now for the news. Peter! No, wait a minute, wait a minute. Don't put the fanfare in there. I'm not through yet, Harry. Oh, well, I'm sorry. I for I, Panna, whose praises we sing. J is the jive that the Merrimack swing. K is the key that Wynn Murray reaches. L is what Van Steeden looks like in a tuxedo coat that doesn't match his britches. <laughs> I had to rush in for the meter. The meter was a little uh, uh, yeah, rushed uh, at the uh, Well, that's fine. Now for the news. Peter! Now, wait. No, 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 Harry. I am not finished. Well, it's my mistake. Go ahead. M is for Portland, so pretty and chic. M is for Portland? Portland, Maine, Harry. O. No, not O, Harry. The next letter is N. You gave yourself away. It was there I knew you were a Dartmouth man when you put O after uh, M. But the next letter is N. Oh, well, N, I know what that is for. That's for the news. Peter! See, I never saw a man take so much time to get ready to play so little, did you? (laughs) All right, I I give up the whole thing. The Ipana News presents The World in Review. New York City, New York. Community Service Society, Committee on Housing, publishes preliminary report on rooming house situation in Manhattan. Report based on survey of 75 typical rooming houses shows lack of sufficient beds and bathtubs for tenants, 
law violations in regard to cooking in rooms, and serious overcrowding. IPANA News conducts its own rooming house survey to get the true facts. First, a rooming house tenant, Mr. Yandel Baxter. Now, Yandel, have you found conditions crowded? Crowded? Brother, I lived in places so packed, I come out narrow-minded. Really? I was wondering why your head came to a point there. I couldn't... That, that explains yeah, it. Yeah, yeah, it's brutal. Me and the wife just checked out of a journey. The Beckoning Arms down on 8th Street. The Beckoning Arms, that was the yeah. name of the place. Well, what were your accommodations? Well, we had the bridal suite. The bridal suite? Yeah, it was the southeast half of the northwest corner of a nine-family room. <laughs> there were nine families in the one room? Yeah, they had lines painted on the floor for privacy. Oh, did the people stay inside of their lines? Everything was okay till a guy living in the center of the room gets up in the middle of the night and starts painting new lines. <laughs> he was altering his boundaries? Yeah. First thing anybody knew, he'd blitzkrieg six inches south. What happened? A plebiscite busted out. Really? Yeah, the guy by the window anschlussed the family by the door, the guy on the downtown side threw up a Maginot line... And the guy in the corner started dropping leaflets on everybody. Did you, uh, did you retreat? Me and the wife run the blockade without getting scuttled. Good for you. And now you are living elsewhere? Oh, yeah. We got a room of our own now. It's a converted broom closet. Well, isn't that rather stuffy? Nah, I don't mind. But the wife is starting to crab. Why? On account of the border. <laughs> Oh, you have a boarder in the closet. Yeah, it wouldn't be so bad, but he's a musician. A musician? Yeah, when he brings his band home to practice, the wife has to get up on the shelf with her grandfather. Well, obviously you've got no room for complaint. And thank you, Mr. Yandel Baxter. A young lady who, has, uh, who had a peculiar experience as a result of rooming house congestion is Miss Gladys Snavely. What, uh, what happened? You found it, did you? What happened, uh, Miss Snavely? Ah, uh, this is one for the book. Well, you don't say. What occurred? Well, last week I moved into this rooming house. Uh-huh. Get me a room on the same floor as the bathtub. That makes it very convenient. Now, Are you kidding? Well, I... <laughs> not knowing the place, I didn't... Brother, getting down that hall to the bathtub is like running interference for Notre Dame. <laughs> you always have trouble, do you? Let me give you an incident. Do. I wish you would. Last week, I had a date with a fella. Uh-huh. It was Saturday night, so I figure I'll take me a bath. Good for you. I go down the hall with me bubble soap and a towel. <laughs> bubble soap and a towel. Well, what? the door's locked. Uh-huh. <laughs> Some dame is splashing around in the tub and singing, Ma, he's making eyes at me. <laughs> you, uh, you withdrew to your room, did you? Yeah. I'm sitting there with my ear cocked when I hear the water gurgling out of the tub. Uh-huh. The bathroom door opens and make a dash for it. And? Zip, the old maid from across the hall beats me by a sponge. Oh. <laughs> you uh, withdrew once more, of course. Yeah. Again I hear the water gurgling. Again I land down the hall. And? Bang, the fuller brush man in the next room trips me up with a sample and slams the bathroom door. Isn't You were mad, of course. I'm Basoik. Basoik. So I sticks me head out at the window and I hollers, fire, fire. A brilliant move. Yeah. Well, fire engines start screaming down the street. All the rumors run out of the house. I'm alone at last. What did you do? I sauntered down the hall with me bubble soap and me towels. Uh-huh. The bathroom's empty. Uh-huh. In I go. I turn on the faucet. And? Nothing comes out. <laughs> Nothing? The fire chief cut off the water. He's playing it on the building. And you didn't get your bath. What do you think, mister? At a hasty glance, I would say no. <laughs> oh, wise guy, huh? That is putting it mildly, and thank you, Miss Gladys Snavely. And now a man who bids fair to become a permanent pest on this program, poet Thorndike Swinburne. Now, Thorndike, you have been thrown out of here twice. Yes. Once? Once out the 49th Street exit. Yes. And the other time, the 50th Street door. Yes. Now, what do we have to do to get rid of you permanently, Thorndike? Oh, the eternal question. 
It uh, has been asked before. And will be asked again. To know me is to loathe me. You are a keen judge of character, Thorndyke. Thank you. Uh, now, why are you here tonight? I have written a new poem. It's dedicated to a crowded rooming house. And what is it called? A crowded rooming house. Nice twist you have on it. Go right ahead. A crowded rooming house. It takes a heap of people to make a house a heap. And when a heap of people is heaped up in their sleep, the heap that's heaped up sleeping is just a heap of sleep. But the sleep that's sleeped up is sleeping by the heap that is asleep is a heap of heap of sleeping. And I don't mean sleeping heat. Heat, heat. You, uh, you made, uh, you made, you made several mistakes there, but fortunately in a poem like that, no one will ever know. (laughs) This is the, including yourself, I take it. That, uh, that was the end. Yes, you may throw me out now. Always a pleasure. Uh, throw me out the 6th Avenue door, I'm going cross town. Yes. We'll throw you as far as Lindy's. You can stop off there. And thank you for a distressing few minutes. And now to show how crowded some of the New York New York theatrical rooming houses are, Ipana News dramatizes the recent experience of an actor who engaged a room. The scene, the front hall in Ma Brody's theatrical rooming house. A meek little actor is in the hall inquiring from Ma Brody about accommodations. I want to get a room, Ma Brody. Are you an actor? Yeah, I'm a sword swallower. Working? I'm opening with the floor show at the Automat Monday. (laughs) Okay, I'm a little crowded, but you can have this room off the hall, number seven. Thanks, Ma. I'll see you later. Oh, boy, what a break. The house is crowded. I grabbed this big room all of myself. Well, I may as well hang me coat in the closet. Yeah? What's, What's on, on your mind, mind bud? <laughs> Who are you guys? Cole Pepper, Pepper and McGee, bud. We're living in here. In the closet? Yeah, beat it, bud. We're rehearsing. Yeah, who was that lady I seen you? That's a laugh. <clears throat> Two guys sleeping in the closet. Well, I'll hang my coat in the bathroom. <laughs> hey, closing the door kindly. Who are you? I am Podolsky, the Russian baritone. I am living in here. In the bathroom? In Russia, this is the parlor. Ah, you. Wow. Well, there's one thing. I ain't gonna be lonesome in here. I'll stuff my coat in this bureau drawer. Hey, close that drawer. Well, I'll be... Who are you? I'm Major Pee Wee the Midget. And you're living in that bureau drawer? Not so long. You'll wake up my eighth brother. <laughs> hey, this is getting ridiculous. I'm getting in the bed. <laughs> At least nobody can bother me there. Hey, get off my head. What are you doing in my bed? I'm living in here, bud. Scram. Hey, what is this? My Brody! My Brody! Hey, what's the fuss? Who's making that noise? Oh, it's you. Hey, what kind of a joint is this? I told you I was crowded. What are you kicking about? Listen, I don't mind them two guys in the closet. I ain't complaining about that Russian in the bathroom and the midgets in the drawer. But when I gotta sleep with a total stranger... What stranger? This guy in bed here. Oh, that's Mr. Brown. Mr. Brown, meet the new rumor. Oh, glad to meet you, bud. I'm glad to know you, Brown. Move over. Thank you. And now the Merry Mash, ladies and gentlemen, to sing the number that was not recently dedicated to one of the Marx Brothers. It's called the Gaucho Serenade. Join the parade and hear the gaucho serenade. 
senoritas are young to join the parade and hear him sing the gaucho The town hall tea shoppy, always on the alert for some startling innovation, announces the addition of an educated talking waiter. The singing kind were merely entertaining. Now the new ones are guaranteed to be instructive as well. Now tonight we bring you a preview of the new waiting technique. The scene, the tea shoppy. Good evening, sir. May I suggest this table over here? Thanks. Got a mean, though? Here you are, sir. And may I remind you that in the year 872, Howard the Fair-Haired broke the power of the Norwegian chiefs in Iceland? Is that right? How's the Hamburger? <laughs> Excellent. You know, of course, that Einstein's theory of relativity assumes that the velocity of light... Yeah, that's been spinning around in my pretty head for some time. So you just run along and get me some hamburgers, some mashed potatoes, some creamed carrots, and a cup custard pronto. Certainly, sir. But may I point out that those are all soft foods? Well... Well, so many of the soft, creamy, well-cooked foods we eat nowadays, delicious as they are, do not give our gums the exercise and stimulation they need to keep them firm and healthy. Okay, what can I do about it? Just listen to Harry Von Zell some Wednesday night when he says, When gums are tender and soft, teeth are seldom sparkling and bright. And to help strengthen undernourished gums with toning and exercise, many dentists suggest the regular use of Ipana toothpaste and gum massage. For Ipana is especially designed not only to clean and brighten your teeth, but when used with massage to help stimulate your gums as well. So get a tube of Ipana from your druggist and use it faithfully. When you feel that delightful tang exclusive with Ipana and massage, you'll know that circulation is awakening in your gums, stimulating them, helping them become firmer and healthier. And you'll know that you made a mighty wise choice in Ipana toothpaste. <laughs> Steeden and his Tobacco Road Symphony Orchestra have just rendered Cheery Berry B. Say, Harry, that lady just came in. Would you like to read the other commercial over that lady just came in here? I have uh, filed it under one. Haven't you? Good I'll... evening, sir. May I suggest this table over here? Thanks, got a menu. You and I can yes, do well, it. Well, all right. Well, we'll get you read it to her when we get through. And now our now our guest. Uh, oh, hello, Portland. Hello. I didn't see you come in. You just get here? No, I've been over helping the Mary Max. Helping the Mary Max financially? <laughs> no. They need some new words, so I made some up. New words for what? For their songs. All their songs have the same words. Oh, that's silly. The Mary Max sing different songs every week. Yes, but in the middle of the songs, they always say the same words. What words? Wat and gat and gat and gat and hat and gat and pa. Oh, I see. And what, uh, what, you told me to wait there. I waited. Now, so, uh, <laughs> did 
just want me to wait to relax. It's nice of you. The thought is nice. If you're waiting for results, you should tell me, too, and set a limit. What are these words? What were those words again there that you have... Uh, uh, that was better than the first time, wasn't it? It was shorter, which made it better automatically. Well, what new words have you written in now to take the place of wat and dat and bat and scat and hat and gat and pop? Wheat and beat and beat and and that last word sums it up nicely. And I do mean what you said. <laughs> well, now that you've uh, given the Merry Max that Wheaton, Beaton, Durstein, and Osborne routine, I think you you ought to. I think you've written yourself out. You should uh-huh. give up lyric writing uh, as of now. Isn't there some other hobby you could cultivate? Well, this is leap year, but I'm too young for that. Ah, oh, yes, leap year is rather a risky twelve month for the unattached male, isn't it? That's what you men say. Girls have their troubles leap year, too. What troubles? They put a little lipstick on the bait, and they're ready to troll. (laughs) Well, I saw a girl run up to a policeman today. To propose? No. She said, Officer, there are two men following me. Make the little one stop. (laughs) That's very good, but not the way you tell it. But I'd like to hear someone tell that sometime. Do you know how Leap Year got its name? Yes, I know. (laughs) Why don't you put a weight on your tonsils and keep your voice in one place? (laughs) Yes, I know how uh, Leap Year got its name. It comes every four years. Every fourth year, the president, you know, is up for re-election. And somebody else tries to leap into the White House. This may not turn out to be leap year after all. Well, nobody seems to know. The way it looks, though, I... I wouldn't sell my fireplace. (laughs) Now... Now, what about, uh, that's probably our guest star's reception. We shouldn't construe it. Now, what about our guest star, by the way? Well, last week, I went down to see the Statue of Liberty, and I learned so many things about the statue. Oh, now, wait. You haven't brought the Statue of Liberty here tonight. No, but I have brought a man who knows all there is to know about the statue. Really? Mr. Allen, meet Mr. David Ludmere. Well, good evening, Mr. Ludmere. Good evening, Fred. I hope Portland hasn't dragged you away from your chores at the Statue of Liberty for this little tete-a-tete. No, Fred. I'm not on duty at night, but the statue is in good hands. Ah, that sure is a weight off my mind. I thought Miss Liberty might be out there in the harbor tonight without a chaperone. You know, with all those boys floating around. Well, there's uh, nothing to worry about, Fred. Fine. Now, before we start, Mr. Ludmere, may I ask, what is your official position at Bedloe's Island? I'm an assistant to Mr. George A. Palmer, the superintendent, Fred. And uh, what are your duties? Well, I have charge of the office work and finances, and occasionally I guide visitors around the statue. Well, how long have you been a member of Miss Liberty's supporting cast? Since 1936. 1936. That was the year Alf Landon left Kansas with the big flower. And uh, New York left Tammany with the little flower. (laughs) Now, first... First on our fact parade, how did the Statue of Liberty ever get into the middle of New York Harbor? It surely wasn't there when Grover Whalen went down the bay to welcome Hendrick Hudson, was it? Uh, uh, No, Fred. The uh, tablet on the pedestal of the statue tells its story. It tells a story. Well, how does the tablet read? A gift from the people of the Republic of France to the people of the United States. This Statue of Liberty, enlightening the world, commemorates the alliance of the two nations in achieving the independence of the United States and attests their abiding friendship. The statue, then, was erected by the people of France. And when was it previewed? The Statue of Liberty was unveiled and dedicated on October 28, 1886. 1886. Miss Liberty today is 53 years old. Yes, going on 54. Well, if you want to be catty, Mr. (laughs) I hope I look as well when I'm 53 going on 54, but I don't imagine I'll wear as well as the Statue of Liberty. 
Well, I hardly think so, Fred. She's made of copper. Well, I've got plenty of iron in my system, Mr. Ludhair. As a matter of fact, I have so much iron in me, they tried to tear me down along with the 6th Avenue L a few months back. Iron seems to run in our family. When my grandfather died, they didn't bury him. The old gentleman was scrapped. <laughs> but tell me, uh, tell me, Mr. <laughs> Mr. <laughs> you were scratching your head, Uncle Jim. I hope you were thinking. <laughs> but tell me, Mr. Uh, Lud- Don't mind us, Mr. Ludmira. This goes on all the time. <laughs> but uh, tell me, Mr. Ludmira, who designed the statue originally? Uh, the statue was created by a French sculptor named Auguste Bartholdi. Did Mr. Bartholdi build the entire statue in France? Yes. In 1884, Liberty was on exhibition in Paris for about six months. Well, how did they ship this enormous figure to America? The Normandy wasn't running in those days. It isn't running today, is it? <laughs> well, the uh, statue didn't come in one piece, Fred. It was shipped here in 300 sections. Well, I guess it's the old story. Six months in Paris and anyone will go to pieces. <laughs> the statue we see in the harbor today is really America's first jigsaw puzzle. You might say so, Fred. Well, can you give us an idea of how large the Statue of Liberty really is? Well, uh, Liberty is 152 feet high, and it's as tall as a 22-story building. And that arm that holds the torch. The arm is 40 feet long, the index finger on the hand is 8 feet long, and Liberty's waist is 35 feet around. Or two feet smaller than Don Wilson. <laughs> but tell me, Mr. Ludmira, is the Statue of Liberty uh, the property of New York City? Uh, no, Fred. The uh, statue is administered by the National Park Service, a branch of the United States Department of the Interior. I see. It's outside, but the Department of Interior makes an exception in this case. But, well, tell me, about how many visitors do you greet a year? Last year, for instance. Well, uh, 1939 was a record year, Fred. We had about uh, 428,000 tourists. Most of them were World's Fair visitors. And with the fair opening again, I'm sure you'll have another record-breaking summer. Now, suppose I come out to visit the Statue of Liberty one day. What will I see? Well, first you'll take an elevator to the top of the pedestal. The pedestal. Can I go up into the statue? Yes, you can go up as high as the head. In another elevator? Uh, no, Fred. You have to climb a winding staircase right up to the head. And how high is it? Uh, Twelve stories or 168 steps. There are windows in the statue's forehead and you get a beautiful view of the city. Well, if you can see the statue so well from New York, I'm surprised that some enterprising firm hasn't tried to hang a gum or a soft drink sign on Miss Liberty. Well, she's had a couple of offers, Fred. You mean someone has actually tried to commercialize our symbol? Yes. A few years ago, we received an advertising proposition from a watchmaking concern. They wanted to put a giant wristwatch on the arm of the statue. Say, that would have set a new high in sponsoring, wouldn't it? You didn't accept the proposition, of course. Uh, no, Fred, the Statue of Liberty is still on sustaining. <laughs> well, where I am apt to find myself any minute. Well, I want to thank you for this enlightening little chat tonight, Mr. Ludmira. I've enjoyed it very much, Fred. We may have spoken in jest about some angles of your work this evening, but in our hearts we all know today more than ever before that this statue is the symbol of America's most precious possession, our liberty. Good night, Fred. Thank you, and good night, Mr. David Ludner. Thank you. And now, Miss... Uh, oh, you've got a new costume, Wynn. You look charming, I must say. And your new shoes, too. You have those... Filled in heels, haven't you? Yes, Fred. The, uh, I never know with those shoes whether a girl's arches are fallen or whether it's this shoe. <laughs> but uh, what are you going to sing for? I'll leave out this joke. It didn't get a laugh at rehearsal. I just, what, is, um, what are you going to sing tonight? I thought about you. Did you really? You set up the music. Well, all right. I thought about you. I took a trip on a train And I thought about you I passed a shadowy lane And I thought about you 
four three cars parked under the stars a winding stream moon shining down on some little town and with each beam same old dream at every stop that we made i thought about you but when i pulled down the shade then i really felt blue i peeked through the crack and looked at the track the one going back to and what did i do i thought about you seems that i read or somebody said that out of sight is out of mind maybe that's so but i try to go and leave you behind what did i find i took a trip on a train and i thought about you I passed a shadowy lane and I thought about you Two or three cars parked under the stars a winding stream moon shining down on some little town and with each beam the same old dream at every stop that we made I thought about you But when I pulled down the shade then I really felt blue Don't touch a note of that song. That's the way you rehearsed it. Now we'll sing it later in the program. Thank you, Ed. Now with all with all no oh, stop it, Harry. You With all of the moving picture companies going in for epics nowadays, ladies and gentlemen, we see no reason why we can't toss off one of our own. So here it is. This production, gigantic in a small way, we call the Town Hall Morality Play. Each of the four characters you have known since childhood. They are, in the order of their appearance, rich man, poor man, beggar man, thief. First, rich man. With all my money, I can't buy a better dentifrice than I pan toothpaste. Poor man. When I figure that Ipana not only does a bang-up job on my teeth, but when used with massage helps the health of my gums, too, I figure I just can't afford not to use Ipana. Beggar man. My wife doesn't have to beg the youngster to brush his teeth anymore. Not since he found out how pleasant Ipana tastes. Thief. Why let unattractive teeth rob you of an attractive smile when Ipana is no farther away than your nearest drugstore? Those opinions, ladies and gentlemen, are influenced in no small way by the opinions of many dentists who say, since the soft, creamy foods we eat do not give our gums enough exercise and stimulation to keep them firm and healthy, use Ipana toothpaste and gum massage. And in giving that advice, dentists are doing for others what so many of them are doing for themselves. For in a recent survey, more dentists said they personally use Ipana toothpaste than any other dentifrice of any type. Now make their choice your choice. Use Ipana toothpaste. The Fred Allen Show will continue immediately following a brief pause for your station identification. Ladies and gentlemen, the question of the week. This is Mr. and Mrs. Average Man's Round Table, where three persons selected from our studio audience are invited to give their opinions on a question that concerns some prominent issue of the day. These little sessions are entirely unrehearsed. Fred takes his place at the round table now, where he meets his fellow debaters for the first time. 
Are you ready, Fred? Yes, Harry. If port- the the uh, forum is officially open, if Portland will kindly introduce the first uh, member of our little gathering tonight. I'll be glad to. First, Mr. Arthur Rota from Jackson Heights, New York. Good evening, Mr. Rota. Good evening, Mr. Allen. Are you from uh, Jackson Heights? I am. We have quite a few uh, members of our program from Jackson Heights. Uh, uh, when uh, when Murray and uh, our uh, Uncle James there, the man who has you so firmly by the collar, <laughs> he's always afraid that a guest will get away once they get in. <laughs> but uh, did the snowstorm uh, last night bother you folks any over Jackson Heights way? Well, we we're rather short of uh, snowplows, I believe. Uh, I know Uncle Jim told me he mushed in this morning. From... <laughs> Of course, if everyone had dogs as big as Uncle Jim, <laughs> mushing would be a pleasure, I guess. But uh, you've never seen uh, Uncle Jim in his bare feet, I don't imagine, Mr. <laughs> Not quite, no. He looks as though he's standing on two skin skis. <laughs> but uh, may I ask... Oh, yeah, don't laugh, Mr. Van Steven. I have been over in Jackson Heights through the backyards on a concert tour some time ago. <laughs> and I happened to see Uncle Jim's stockings. They look like two sleeves hanging in the wind. <laughs> But may I ask, that'll hold you, wherever you... Uh, where do you come from, Mr. Van Steeden? Larchmont way, huh? Jackson Heights. Oh, Jackson. <laughs> but you're on your way to Larchmont with that tuxedo, anyway. <laughs> uh, Mr. Rhoda, may I ask your business? Sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt. I'm a liquor salesman, Fred. A liquor salesman? Yeah. Are you really? Yeah. You haven't brought any samples with you. <laughs> well, you can call me up tomorrow, fellow. No, I... <laughs> I don't drink. I'm a malted milk uh, milkman myself. I guess I miss a lot of conviviality, but I probably save a lot of wear and tear on my head at the same time. Tell me confidentially, do you think that the liquor being sold today compares favorably in quality with the uh, the liquor that was sold before Prohibition? Oh, I think so, yes. You do. It's just Absolutely. as good, aged just as long. Oh, yes. Cheaper or more expensive? I think it's cheaper. It certainly is better than what they were selling during Prohibition. That I'll guarantee. I remember going to a boat christening over on the west side during Prohibition. Some politician got up and hit the uh, the stern with a bottle of champagne. This uh, bootleg champagne had burned two new portholes in the back of the boat. <laughs> and the rudder of the boat went up the Hudson alone doing 40 knots an hour. <laughs> Well, thank you a lot, Mr. Roder. I'm sorry to have taken up so much of your time. And now, Portland. Mrs. Irene Green from New York City. Good evening, Mrs. Green. Good evening, Mr. Allen. Do you work here in New York, do you? Yes, I do. May I ask your profession? Well, my dad and I are in an importing business. Importing? Your father and you? Yes. Uh, 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 what, what, importing what, may I ask? We import rock lobster tails from Cape Town, South Africa. From Africa, rock lobster tails? That's right. Just the tails of the lobster. Yes. Yeah, What's right. the matter with the rest of the lobster? <laughs> Why don't you bring that along to keep the tails company? It's pretty lonesome. Well, you see, Mr. Allen, there's a great deal of waste in the tails, and... The, the waste in the other part of the body. No, I mean there's waste in the head. Uh-huh. And, uh... Same with radio comedians. <laughs> the heads are all waste. If you were going to import one, I would never import one with a head. But we try to save on uh, costs of weight, weight in freight. I see. And therefore we only import the tail, which carries most of the meat. Gosh, a man who was in the shirt importing business would be better off in the <laughs> lobster business using the same methods, wouldn't he? Uh, do they vary greatly from the uh, main variety of lobster, the uh, lobsters you import? Yes, the they're more like uh, what is known here as the um, crawfish. Oh, the crawfish. They don't yeah. have those pincer-like claws, do no. they? No, they don't. Up in Maine, lobsters are so common, they use them for everything. Bookends, <laughs> door stops, paperweights. I know a politician up there in a the town, Old Orchard, there's a man, a Mr. Mullen, a politician, who even uses a live lobster for a mouse trap. <laughs> Yes, he rubs cheese on inside the claws of the lobster and says... 
the lobster down on the floor like that. The, the mouse comes out and smells the cheese in the lobster's claw, and instantly the lobster closes in, and Mr. Mullen has a mouse head to mouth. <laughs> well, thank you a lot. Uh, uh, I'm sorry you didn't bring along one of those lobster tails. I don't think I've ever eaten one. And... I'll bring one for you if you want to. I wish you would next week, and, and you can come back on the uh, on the program, and I'd, I'll eat it while you're here and tell you what I Thank you a lot, uh, Mrs. Green. And now, Portland? Mr. John Daly from New York City. Well, good evening, Mr. Daly. Good evening, Mr. Allen. I'm just going to... I was going to ask your profession, but I've been informed by a gentleman who is in charge of split seconds here that I've been talking too much. So I'm going to go into our question, if you'll excuse me. You don't mind, do you, Mr. Daly? Certainly not, Mr. Well, thank you. Now, uh, some other day, I'll meet you on the street and ask you what your profession is to keep the record straight. That brings us to our question. Tonight, we discuss an institution that has been a source of ridicule for generations. It's the mother-in-law. Last year, a group of women got together and formed what is known as the Mother-in-Law Association. Its aim at that time was to banish all harsh and vulgar mother-in-law jokes. Now, recently, the association met again this year and changed the name mother-in-law to kin mother. Now, our question tonight is, do you think that mother-in-law jokes should be stopped and should the mother-in-law be accorded more respect? Now, Mr. Rhoda, how do you feel about mothers-in-law? Well, mine being so far away, I don't think I'm such a good judge. In Jackson Heights, is she? No, they're farther than that, 3,000 miles. Oh, well, you can speak freely then. <laughs> Well, uh, uh, how do you get along with your mother-in-law, Mr. Roder? Well, I got along very well with her. Uh, when, when you were near her? Absolutely. Well, then I'd say that you would be in favor of uh, letting up on mother-in-laws. I think so, yes. All right. Uh, Mrs. Green? Well, uh... How do you feel about mothers-in-law? I feel that they should be able to take a joke as well as anybody else, and by making an issue of it... Uh, as these people have done, trying to form committees and such, I think they only make it more ridiculous. They, they're overdoing it, Absolutely. Huh? I but, think they poke more fun than anyone else does. Well, of course, they open up a whole new field. That'll give radio three years longer to live. Now it's a new mother-in-law joke. But how do you personally feel? Do you think that the mother-in-laws are ridiculed too greatly, personally? Yes, Personally, or no? I've never found it so. No. You haven't. All right, thank you. Do you think they should, though, that, uh, that people shouldn't ridicule them? Oh, I don't think they deserve ridicule particularly. All right. That's what we want to get this evening. And Mr. Daly, how do you feel? You're married, are you? I certainly am, Mr. Allen. Do you? Uh... <laughs> <laughs> well, you had me fooled. You don't look it, I will say. <laughs> but how do you feel about mothers-in-law? Well, I think that's up to the mother-in-laws. I believe there's two types of mother-in-laws. Two types. The good type that builds you up and makes you uh, feel like with somebody, and the type who's Constantly trying to tear you down and make you feel like you're not, you know. Oh, so you uh, you believe that the person is entitled to a choice. I said. Well, I think our forum stands two for the mothers-in-law and Mr. Daly, who would have to be talked into it, but I haven't got the time. <laughs> I'm firmly convinced that in spite of anything we have said tonight, the mother-in-law will survive, and I will probably get hit on the head the next time my mother-in-law shows up at the house. <laughs> on this pleasant note of anticipation, the meeting is hurriedly adjourned, and thank you all for your kind participation. Thank you. And now the Merry Max, ladies and gentlemen, their song, I'll See You in My Dreams. I'll see you in my dreams. Hold you in my dreams. Someone took you out of Were mine. Tender eyes that 
fast news travels, I learned the other day that almost 3,000 years ago in Rome, a favorite remedy for a cold was the person, was for the person who had one to read aloud. Now, there's a choice morsel of pharmaceutical nonsense. Well, Fred, I think that's a swell idea. Well, Harry, do you mean to say that if you had a cold, you could do it any good by reading the farmer's almanac or the telephone directory (laughs) out loud? No, certainly not, Fred. It all depends on what you read. Now, I have a little paragraph here, reading time 58 seconds, that would do a whale of a lot of good for anyone who reads it. Well, then, Harry, by all means, read it. All right, it's this. At the very first sign of a cold, take sparkling Sal Hepatica. Because Sal Hepatica helps fight colds faster. That's why it's recommended by so many doctors. As a matter of fact, in a recent impartial survey among physicians conducted by leading medical journals... It was found that seven out of ten physicians recommend a saline laxative when treating a cold. And Sal Hepatica, we believe, is the outstanding saline laxative in America. There are two very good reasons for this, which you can check with your own doctor. First, Sal Hepatica acts quickly, yet it is exceptionally gentle. And since the progress of a cold is fast, this greater speed of Sal Hepatica is especially important in fighting it. Second... Sal Hepatica also helps nature counteract the acidity that so often accompanies a cold. So get an economical bottle of Sal Hepatica from your druggist and always keep it on hand for quick cold-fighting service. Remember, for faster action in treating colds, take Sal Hepatica. the mighty Allen Hart players present an Antarctic episode. It's called Admiral Allen was leading a dog's life, so they left him at the pole. Music, Arturo. This is station J-U-N-K, New York. The program originally scheduled for this time, Shep Fink and his drooling rhythm, has been canceled. Instead, we take you now to the South Pole for a surprise shortwave interview with the famous Antarctic explorer, Admiral Rufus E. Allen. The next voice you hear will be that of Admiral Allen speaking from the South Pole. Take it away, Admiral. (whistles) Oh, uh, that uh, was not Admiral Allen, folks, I hope. Uh, Uh, Mr. Markell, our engineer, is having a little difficulty making contact. We'll try it again. Uh, Take it away, Admiral Allen. Take it away, Admiral Allen. Take it. Maybe he can't take it. Uh, Come in, Admiral. Hello, America. I say there's something here. down there at the pole. I'll be a dirty dog, Tim. Oh, uh, watch it, watch it, Admiral. Oh, are we, are we on the air? Yes, Admiral. Hello, America! You, you said that. Oh. Uh, now, how are things at the pole, Admiral? It's too darn cold, America, but my little band is facing the hardships bravely, America. Oh, good, good, good. Have you any message from the Arctic Waste to deliver to civilization? Yes. sir. Did you talk to America? Yes, I just signed off. Have you taken the temperature reading, Tompkins? Just finished, sir. Temperature's 80 below and dropping fast. 80 below. What are you using for a thermometer? The Trilon? It's so cold, the mercury's hanging down from the thermometer, sir. (laughs) It's wobbling about like a pendulum. Yeah, we've been here six months at Little Brooklyn. (laughs) 
This is the coldest yet. Yes, sir. It got so cold this morning, I couldn't saw any firewood. The teeth on the saw were chattering. (laughs) We're doomed, Tompkins. It's getting colder by the hour, and we're almost out of food. Can't you send some men out to hunt for food? I had Welch, Weaver, and Svensky out hunting yesterday. (laughs) Welch bagged a small walrus. And the other two? Weaver's a little nearsighted. He bags Svensky. <laughs> that won't help. No, Svensky only weighs 80 pounds. He's practically all gristle. Somebody's knocking, sir. You have keen eardrums, Tompkins. Come here. Sacre bleu, it is cold. Pierre, my cook. Pierre, your ex-cook, I quit. You can't quit, Pierre. Get back out to the cookhouse and start making dinner. No, Michel, how can I make the dinner when there is nothing to cook? You can fake it, can't you? <laughs> Twenty years I have studied under the great Oscar. And what have I cooked on this expedition? What? December, fried reindeer horns. Delicious. January, penguin du jour. Pecan. February, porpoise pan dowdy. Delightful. I am finished. This is vitamin sabotage, Pierre. You got my menu for today's dinner. Now you get out and cook it. Pierre Tonnerre, who can cook that order? Overshoes medium rare with fried snow. <laughs> You'll cook them overshoes and like it. And fillet some of the soul for me. But Pierre is artist. I want to make the gravy deliciamon and the sauces supreme. Never mind your fancy sauces. I'm giving you two minutes to start cooking. Or I'm taking away your postcard. No! No! Nothing! Nothing! Pierre will obey. And make it tray me. Oui, Admiral. Nom de cochon. For this, I have left Fulty Fisher on 23rd Street. Yeah, Tompkins, the expedition has got to get food. How much do you weigh, Tompkins? Good heavens, sir, you're not planning. Not yet, Tompkins. But try to put on a little weight. (laughs) Just in case. We won't starve, Admiral. We still have our cow. Nobody's eating Daisy, Tompkins. That cow's our good luck mascot. But you've got to do something, sir. Say, what are we supposed to be doing down here at the South Pole, anyway? I'm collecting data. I'm syndicating a newspaper column. My data. (laughs) Come here. Where's Admiral Allen? Crash, why ain't you out on patrol duty? I'm quitting. You can take the pole and... Hold on, Crash. (laughs) You ain't... You ain't making me a party to no international incident. You get back on patrol. Not in this cold, Crash. The, The first hour I'm out there, what happens? These come off of my hands. Look. Your ears. Yeah, my ears. The second hour I'm out there in that cold, this drops off in the snow. Look at this. Cat, your nose. Yeah, me nose. The third hour I feel some lumps in my mittens. Here, pull me mittens off. Okay, I will. Hey, what what dropped? Me finger. <laughs> the ear's gone, my nose gone, now my finger's gone. Get yourself together, Crest. Uh, half of me is laying on the floor. Well, pick up your fingers and go. Okay, I'm going. I tell you, I've never seen it this cold before, but once. Where was that? In Florida. (laughs) This is bad business, Admiral. This cold will ruin the men's morale. Cold, cold. Don't mention cold again, Tompkins. The word cold is taboo from now on. Call in the men. I'm telling them to. Blow the assembly horn. Yes, sir. (laughs) If Crest shoots off his mouth before it drops off, he can start a mutiny. I'm stopping this cold talk right now. Here's the boys coming, sir. Come in, fellas. Who blew assembly horn? Men of the Allen Expedition, attention. Yes, sir. Now, men, there's a rumor around camp that this cold is getting you down, is it? Yes, sir. Now, we knew when we come down here to the pole it was going to be powerful cold, didn't we? Yes, sir. Now, just because it's worse than we expected, are we going to let it... Lick us, men? Yes, sir. Now, now hold on. That ain't the spirit, men. Oh, yeah? We want to get back to civilization. That's right. This ain't mutiny, men. It ain't cooperation. Nobody can stand this cold. It's a new witch. All right, all right, men. 
If you want to scuttle the Admiral's expedition, I'm licked. I'll contact America shortwave and get them to send us a rescue ship. Oh, you're talking. Well, That's all right. All right, boys, I'll turn on my radio. Hello, America! Hello, America! Hello, boy, who is calling? <laughs> is this Radio City, New York? This is Irving Goldfarb, the Bronx, a shortwave fan. You one of them ham operators? Please, a veal operator. <laughs> I am not, I'm not even using ham in conversation. Now listen, Goldfarb, this is Admiral Allen at the South Pole. Oh, let them know, Admiral, this is Irving of Irving's Delicatessen. I need a rescue ship, I'm out of food. Food? I am admitted to sending out my boy a special order of assorted cold cuts. Cold cuts? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Why, that propaganda spread and hypocrite. Give me that harpoon, somebody. What's the matter with the call, Cat? I'll hack this radio to bits. Ow! Bye, I'm Steph. Cold. Cold. signing off to get Hawaii. Sending us cold. Admiral, you've ruined the expedition's radio. Now we can't get no rescue ship. I said what I'd do if I heard that word cold again, and I'd done it. Well, what are we going to do, Admiral? We're Mac Marooned here now. <laughs> I'm wishing we had him. Instead of... I'm putting no time for ad-libbing. Men, we're dealing... <laughs> I'm putting you men under martial law. The first man that mentions cold again gets shot. Well, we wouldn't mention it, sir, if we had some food. All right, men. I give in. You boys can have daisies. Tompkins, go out to the cookhouse. Tell Pierre to cancel them overshoes. Tell him to cook up Daisy the cow. Yes, sir. Pierre will finally have a chance to prepare one of his famous sauces. I'm off. Now, there's going to be stakes for everybody. What do you say, man? Yum, yum. Are you shivering, Cutler? I'm shivering with joy, Admiral. It ain't the cold. <laughs> I told you, Cutler, I'm shooting the first man that mentions cold. I'm sorry, sir. Now, this is my last warning, men, and this goes for everybody. The next man as mentions cold is a goner. Well, come and get it, gentlemen. Oh, yeah. What's the idea bringing that raw cow in here? Well, Tompkins say you are in a hurry, no? But you ain't even cooked, Daisy. All you've done is peel off her hide. Mais oui, the raw meat is nothing. Pierre has made the sauce on top. The sauce par excellence. Let me see that sauce. Oui. Why, you no-good left-bank hashlinger? Admiral. You frog-eating, double-dealing, no. calorie conniver? Admiral, not the gun. Yes, the gun. <laughs> Take this, Pierre Flambeau. No! Oh! Bone rhythms. Admiral, are you crazy? I know what I'm doing. But you've killed our cook. We'll starve to death. I said I'd kill the man who mentioned the temperature again, didn't I? Yes, sir, but I didn't hear Pierre say anything about the cold. He didn't say it, but he hinted at it. Hinted? What do you mean? Take a look at the sauce on top of that cow, man. Sauce? <laughs> yes, it's chili. Oh. <laughs> Before we, before we preview the outstanding lulls in next week's program, we'd like you to know that one winter, 25,000 years ago, Confucius say... Cold in head is not to be sneezed at. And this winter, Harry Von Zell say... No cold, no matter how slight, should ever be neglected. At the very first sign of a cold, put two teaspoonfuls of sal hepatica in a glass of water and drink it. Because sparkling sal hepatica helps fight colds faster. There are two very good reasons why it does, and you can check them with your own doctor. First, sal hepatica is speedy, yet it's very gentle, and speed is mighty important in fighting a cold. Second, and just as important, this famous saline laxative also helps nature counteract the acidity that so frequently accompanies a cold. Remember, in a recent survey, it was found that seven out of ten doctors recommend a saline laxative in treating a cold. And sal hepatica, we believe, is America's outstanding saline laxative. So for faster action against colds, get a bottle of gentle, quick-acting sal hepatica at any drugstore. Well, we're a little late. I won't have time to say good night. So good, ladies and gentlemen. This is the National Broadcasting Company. 
That's it for this time, but there's always more old-time radio at relicradio.com. Thousands of episodes of every variety offered for free, thanks to you, the listeners. If you'd like to help support this and all of the shows, please visit donate.relicradio.com or visit the website and click on the Donate button for more information. Thanks for joining me today. I'll be back soon with another installment of A Legacy of Laughs. Thank you.